Well, good morning, guys. Man, we had a great first service today, and it's packed out. So you guys are gonna have to start inviting some more people, so we can fill up this service too. Okay? So it was um we. But it's a good morning to be here. Good morning to be in God's house, learning together. We're in this series called One Another, where we are learning uh, what it means to do life together uh, as believers. And uh, uh, I'm excited about this morning's message. I'll kind of give you a little warning, though. It's a tough one, okay? So, so be prepared and get ready. Uh, I'm going to start off this morning talking about teachers. And uh, I was thinking about this and preparing this message. Now, there are some teachers that I've had in my past that really stood out to me. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I grew up here in Galax, so I think about some of the teachers I had at the high school. The ones that I remember the most, the ones that kind of stand out in my mind, are the ones that were the toughest. The ones that challenged you. The ones that really, at the time, you weren't very fond of. You know what I mean? Uh, the ones that would kind of uh, really push you to do what you didn't think you could do, right? And I was thankful for that. When I got to college, one example was Miss Annis, who taught chemistry. Y'all remember, if you grew up around here, you may remember her. She was tough. But when I got to college and took chemistry in college, I was like, man, this stuff is easy. All right? Because she prepared us. She challenged us. She, she really pushed us. Um, thought about Miss King in English, Miss Morton in geometry, all those teachers that at the time you were not very thankful for, right, when you go through it. But that, good teachers, though, inspire you. Good teachers correct you. Good teachers uh, really instruct you in ways and help you realize where you have weaknesses and they help build your strengths. And what we're talking about today is how we need to teach one another. Now, in church, uh, as soon as we talk about teaching, I think most people's minds, they go to a pastor and our, our church has good teaching or our church struggles in teaching or whatever it is. And you automatically think about the pastor. But in the New Testament, what we see is that the church is much more about the whole community coming together and instructing each other. And, and so, in fact, in Romans chapter 15, we have this verse that's interesting. It says, uh, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct each other. And I would say that's one of the things I love about Cornerstone is that I can stand here and say, guys, I don't have to do it all because you guys are competent to instruct each other. It, really, that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be all about one person doing all the teaching, one person kind of leading everything. No, it's about us doing life together, and that's why we're doing this whole series, this one another series. It's, it's all these commands in Scripture that collectively teach us how we do church. In fact, as you go through the New Testament, you see this. You see how many people teach. You, you see the, the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He preached. He taught the unbelieving Jews about Jesus. In fact, uh, he did it in such a way that they turned on him and they martyred him. They killed him for what he was proclaiming. Now, Philip, uh, we see him just pop up and instruct the Ethiopian eunuch and, 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 and explain Isaiah 53 to him. And he baptized him right there on the spot. I could keep going, right? Uh, you've got Priscilla and, and Aquila, the husband and wife. They instructed Apollos on, on, on the ways of God. They just taught Apollos. 
You see, the Paul, he told the older men and the older women, you've got to instruct the younger men and the younger women. Parents, he said, you've got to instruct your kids. And so we see this whole philosophy throughout the New Testament. It is important for one generation to pass down their faith, to teach, to instruct. We see this whole idea that in the church, we're to help one another. Uh, Hebrews 3 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, and so we do have to exhort, to encourage, to, uh, to help each other. I love uh, Hebrews 10.24, one of my favorite verses about the church, because I feel like this is such a picture of what we need to do. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love that, that picture, right? It's like when we come together, we're able to stir up each other. We're able to bring out the best. And I would just say this. We need people in our life that will bring out the best in us, that will point us to Jesus, that will help us get back on the path when we're veering off the path. And we need, and parents, we know this instinctively, right? We know the influence that our children's friends have upon them. And we know that it's so important that they have godly friends that surround them. Because those friends will either stir up good things or they will stir up a whole lot of trouble. Amen? And we see that, right? But the same thing is true for us. And we've got to stir up one another uh, for, for love and, and good works, as, as it says here. Now, the problem is when we expect one person in a church to do it all. Um, and, and I'm thankful here at Cornerstone, we've got multiple elders. And you've heard from them the last few weeks as we were in Nicaragua and, and, and doing mission work there. Uh, we had guys that stood up and preached and did a great job. You, uh, we've got life groups here at Cornerstone. And I'm so thankful that we've got so many groups that meet throughout the week. And I'll just kind of give a plug for that. Um, starting around Labor Day in September, which will be here before you know it, we'll have a whole new round of life groups starting. So if you're thinking about, hey, I really need to get connected and I really want to grow and I really want to learn more. And uh, it, it's so important that we move uh, out of rows into circles where we can learn together. And, and I would say life groups is, is a great opportunity for that. So uh, we need some more groups starting. So if you want to lead one or host one, man, talk to us. So we'll get you hooked up uh, so that you can do that. But it's such an essential part of church. Um, and, and so I was thinking in my life that throughout the years, it seems like God has put the right people in my path at the right time that really stirred up something in me, that helped me to maybe see things in myself that I couldn't see myself. I think about in college, um, and that's really when I started growing in my faith was when I went to college. And um, I got there and, and went to one of the things, I went to a Bible study, and I, I've shared, maybe shared this before, but, uh, and it was a Bible study on revel, revelation of all things. Um, and I got there, and I, I'd grown up some in church and attended church some, but I got to this Bible study, and all these people my age started talking, and I realized really quick that I was the dumbest one in the room. Have you ever had that feeling before when you show up at a study? And I'm like, these guys know all about the Bible, and I'm like, don't know anything. And it was like the wake-up call that I needed to get me reading His Word and get me learning from each other. And, and then when I started having questions, that group of friends would encourage me and, and point me in the right direction and help me. And when I uh, would have, uh, I took some religion classes that were just awful, 
uh, you know, where the, past, where the teacher would get up and say, oh, the miracles didn't happen. There's no scientific explanation. Jesus couldn't rise from the dead because, of course, humans can't do that. You know, I mean, just crazy stuff. And these, you know, these friends around me supported me, equipped me, taught me how to go to the right place for answers, go to the Word of God. And it's interesting, like uh, most of those guys were in engineering, which is what I was studying, um, what I went to school for. And um, they were all planning on being engineers. Now, almost every single one of those guys in my friend group are, are pastors. Um, and it's just funny how God did that. None of us had the thought at the time. But that's the impact of godly relationships. It's the impact that it can have on you. And then when we, Jennifer and I got married and we lived in Winston for a while, we went to a great church there and had great teaching in the morning, had a great Sunday school class. Right, um, we do life groups, but I'm not against Sunday school because you, you know, God could use uh, what, what we need are small community groups where we can learn together. I don't care what you call them. We've just got to get connected in smaller groups like that. So we had a great Sunday school teacher, a great class where people were helping, instructing each other. Uh, and Sunday nights, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages. Have you all read that book? Um, the, pa- the guy that wrote that, Gary Chapman, lives in Winston, and he's an associate pastor of a church down there, and that's the church we went to. And, and so we got to hear his teaching every Sunday night, and, and we just had all this. And, I mean, I just felt like a sponge just soaking in all the stuff we were learning. And God used that when we moved back here to start working with teenagers. And then I had certain mentors in my life that started teaching me and equipping me. I mentioned Donald Gillette last week, our, our missionary friend in Nicaragua who passed away last year, that... He was such an influence on my life. Um, another pastor friend of mine out in Abingdon, uh, Alan Jesse, that has really helped me over the years and encouraged me. And a lot of local pastors that we meet and text and, and encourage each other. This is what the Christian life looks like. You have people surrounding you that are speaking truth into you, that are encouraging you, that are, picking, that are stirring up in you love and good works. And so I just, I just want to share that, right, that this is such an important part of the Christian faith. And this morning I want to share some principles with you about why we should teach and instruct each other. I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 3 in a, in a minute, so if you've got your Bibles you can flip there. Uh, that's where we'll hang out this morning. But here's the first kind of principle that I want to share with you that we need to understand, and it's simply this. There are no perfect people and there's no perfect churches. If we, we've got to have some humility in this, we've got to get to this point, we've got to realize this before we go any further. Now, there's one church that I know of that has a big sign as soon as you enter the church that says, no perfect people allowed, right? And I like that, all right? It just reminds you, remind you, as you go in, hey, this is not a, a place where you pretend like you've got everything together, And the truth is, there are no perfect people and there's no perfect churches. If churches were only for perfect people, the church would be empty. And if you talk to most people who used to be in church and now are not, and there's a lot of people, right? The whole ex-evangelical movement, they call it now, and the de-churched people who have been hurt by church, and there's documentaries about this and all this stuff out there. There, there, you know, this whole deconstruction movement too. There's all this stuff out there. People, and if you talk to them, the thing that you hear over and over again is they were hurt by the church. They were hurt. Somebody said something to them that bothered them. 
Um, maybe somebody didn't notice them or maybe somebody taught something wrong and now they realize it has consequences. Um, but I would say, and, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but the problem is when we put our faith in people and we take our eyes off Jesus, we realize the people are going to let us down every time. Right? And I just want you to know, there's no perfect people, and that includes me. And, and, and the longer you're in church, the more you realize this. But the more we have to keep our eyes on Jesus because people will let us down. People are going to mess up. People will make mistakes. People will lead us astray. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus because that's where our hope comes from. And I'll just tell you this, if, and, and I'll just be honest, if you've been at Cornerstone uh, any length of time, there's probably somebody that has done something that has hurt your feelings. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to take your marbles and go play somewhere else? I mean, are we still in elementary school? That's how we deal with conflict. We just run away. Because that's what most people do. That's what most people, they, they get upset and they go somewhere else. And I, I just want to challenge us, right? If, if you haven't been let down by someone in the church yet, you will be. Um, and maybe that's not what you want to hear. Maybe you want to hear, oh, this is the best church ever. You're gonna, everybody's perfect here. Everybody loves each other. Everybody loves Jesus. That ain't the truth. Because we all struggle. We, uh, I love the quote that the church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. Right? I mean, that's what the church is all about. There are people that are broken here. There are people that are hurting here. There are people that are struggling here. There are people who are trying to figure things out. There are people who uh, don't even know Jesus yet, but they're wanting to learn about Jesus. And then there's people who have walked with Jesus for years. We're all come together, but the, the focus is Jesus. It's not on me. It's not on you. It's not on any of us. It's got to be on Jesus. And so let me kind of, that kind of introduces the passage I'm going to talk about. Colossians 3, um, let's look at it today. Verse 12 is where I want to jump in. Simply this, therefore as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what Paul is talking to here is a church in conflict, right? Church that's not getting along all the time. And he's telling them, you've got to make a conscious decision to clothe yourself with these virtues. Just like when you wake up in the morning, you have a choice. Are you going to put on these things? Are you going to put on, right, a compassion? kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, or are you going to put on bitterness and frustration and anxiety and worry and stress? I've talked about this before, but I'm afraid that so many people in our world today, the first thing they do is put on all the frustrations and anger and bitterness from the world around us. And if you first thing you do is pick up your phone and get on social media, what are you doing? You're doing that. First thing you do, start watching, listening to the news, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're doing that. You're, we've got to set our sights on what is good and what stirs up love and compassion and kindness. And this, is, this is huge for us. And so he's telling them, if you have the Spirit in you, this is, this is, it will lead you to forgive one another. 
And when we see that, right, we forgive one another. We bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we've been forgiven. It's what Jesus did for us, and that's what we need to do to each other. The word forgive here, it means um, um, to literally, it means to let loose, to release, or to let go of something. If you get a loan from the bank, you are in debt to that bank. But if the bank were to forgive you of that debt, they have, been, they have let go of it. They have released it. That's what forgiveness is on a spiritual level. It releases it. It, it lets it go. It kind of frees us. And Jesus has taken uh, the, the debt of sin that we owe, and He has released it. He has forgiven it. He has set us free. And now He expects us to extend that same grace and mercy to others. And Paul is saying, because we're not perfect, you've got to become better at this. And I would say as a church, guys, we've got to grow. If we want to grow closer to Jesus, we've got to learn how to forgive. We've got to learn how not to be offended by every little thing and get mad and and run. Uh, So many people, we love to escape and run from our problems instead of dealing with them. And God is calling us, if we are to live together as the body of believers with, with one another, then it's going to mean we've got to forgive one another. And I will say forgiveness, though, um, I, I feel like every time I talk about forgiveness, I've got to do a little disclaimer here. Forgiveness is not denying or approving or diminishing the wrong that was done. Forgiveness is not ignoring it. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. Forgiveness is not forgetting about the sin that was committed against you. Forgiveness is not even a one-time event because you have to do it over and over again uh, to, to release uh, the, the guilt and the shame and everything that you've dealt with. You've got to, and it's not even reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation is not possible. But forgiveness releases you and frees you and, and sets you uh, on a new path for your future. And since we're we're not perfect, we're going to have to get better at that. But that brings me to my second point, uh, because we don't want to keep making the same mistake over and over again, do we? My second point, if we love one another, we have a responsibility to teach and to instruct one another. If you really love someone, if you care about them, you're not going to let them go down a path that causes them harm. You're not going to let your child play in the middle of the street, hopefully. Right, you're not going to let them do something um, that you know that there's a you know that there's danger there. You're going to prevent them. You're going to help them. You're going to correct them. You're going to teach them. And when it comes to living our life as Christians, we have that responsibility with one another. And this is again where I said this message gets a little tough because this is not something we want to hear. Let's go back to Colossians 3 again. It's in this context of bearing with each other, forgiving one another. Verse 15, if we keep going, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's two words that kind of stand out to me in this that I want to kind of dive deep on. The words teach and admonish, right? Uh, there's a, the word teach means to communicate or to impart truth. We know what teach means, but what does admonish means? Admonish means that we direct someone's mind towards something that needs corrected. 
It has this idea that something isn't right and something needs to be changed. That's what admonish means. And so the word teach means to communicate truth, while the word admonish means to caution and to warn away from error. Um, so if you just stop and think about those two words for a minute, teach and admonish. We teach truth, we warn against error, we admonish against error. The world will teach that, hey, it's okay to believe whatever you want as long as you're sincere. But is that really, is that really true for believers? No, it's... We can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And so we, as the people of God, we don't have it all figured out, but we're in the process of learning from Jesus what, what life is all about, right? He's revealing the truth to us, and we're sharing that. Um, so uh, we've got to put away the fear of perfectionism, the fear of pride, and we've got to humble ourselves, and we've got to realize that we need to teach and instruct each other. That we have a responsibility to do that. Um, I'll just share, right? It seems like in our world today, we feel like we don't have the freedom to do this. We live in a world where everybody's easily offended. We live in a world where people, like, you've got to mind your own business. We don't have the right to tell anybody else what they're doing. We've got to just keep to ourselves. So y'all heard that or do y'all think that or do y'all have y'all experienced that or feel that sometimes that's the message that the world has given us and so i think that fear fear of what other people will think about us uh, and the insecurity about we don't really we're, we're not perfect so we can't really speak into someone else's life and we're afraid uh, we won't know what to tell them um and i'll just say this if you want to grow you've got to be challenged Growth is not always comfortable. It's not always easy. Again, going back to the teachers that have pushed you, right? They have challenged you. They have corrected you, right? We grew up in the age where they still had paddles in school. So we know about correction, right? And the more holes in that paddle, the more aerodynamic that thing was and the more scared you were. But there was some correction going on back then. Whether it's right or wrong, I'm just, I'm just saying that that happened to a lot of us in this room. And, and, but sometimes we need some correction. And, and so here's the problem. Um, we feel like, and I'll just say, I, here's the problem. I think the greatest, one of the greatest lies in the church today is that we have to mind our own business. I, I, just, I feel like that, that prevents us from really helping one another, from stirring up one another to love and good works. Um, and the reason why this happens so much is people say that you can't speak into my life because that's judging me. And you can't judge me. You, who are you to judge me? I, I think about a, a pastor of a, a pretty large church that had a moral failure. Uh, his church uh, ended up firing him because he refused to repent. Uh, and then they kind of set a whole process for him to be restored. And he got mad about it, went and started another church, which is what happens a lot of times you see with uh, with pastors who struggle with narcissism, which is another pretty uh, prevailing uh, you know, thought in the, the world today. Um, but this guy went and got a big tattoo on his arm and says, nobody can judge me except God. And that bothered me. I'm just going to be honest, right? Um, and, and here's why. Because, one, theologically, that's not true. And you'll, you'll see why in a minute. 
But second, if you're using that kind of mentality to say people cannot speak into my life, I don't need anybody else, nobody can tell me what I'm doing wrong, how prideful and arrogant is that? Isn't that dangerous? Isn't that scary to think we can get to that point? Let me, let me kind of say, say theologically here's why I have a problem with that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a passage that I'm telling you is you never hear this preached on um, because it's, it, it's tough. It's tough. We don't want to do this in our world today. Church is all supposed to be about encouraging and uplifting a positive message for you. And then you get to passages like this. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. So I'll just stop right there for a minute. Uh, What Paul is saying here is I told you, you've got to be careful to avoid people who are unrepentant, living in continual sin. But... If those people are in the world, if those people aren't Christians yet, then you're, we can't change that. We, that's not what we're concerned about. We're not concerned about the world. We've got to look inwardly into the church. Um, verse 11, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or who cheats people, don't even eat with such people. And and get this, he keeps going, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. What he's talking about is people, again, who are unrepentant, living in continual sin, that claim to be believers. And he's saying here, we've got to deal with sin. We've got to take sin seriously. We've got to confront it. We've got to correct it. We've got to admonish people living in sin. Here's the, here's, but here's how our mind has flipped that and changed God's Word. In the church today, we want to correct those outside the church and ignore sin inside the church. That's what people do today. We get mad about, we boycott everything, we condemn everything outside the church, but inside the church, anything goes. That's the problem we have. If we want to change the world, we've got to change ourselves. We've got to let God transform the way we think. We've got to get serious about our sin, and we've got to repent from our sin, and we've got to turn back to God, and we've got to start living for God. There's a whole concept, a kind of practice that's fallen out of a favor in the church today called church discipline. And I think part of the reason it's been done badly a lot, uh, but church discipline is about confronting sin within the church with the goal of bringing people back to repentance and, and back into fellowship in the church. But I'll just tell you what happens today in the church world. And uh, I wish I had some good examples. I could say, well, yeah, we talked to this person about sin or the elders approached this person and tried to help them or encourage them or pray for them or lead them back to the right path. I have very few examples in my life where this has gone well. It's just because of the way our world is, the way people respond to you. You can't judge me. You can't tell me how to live my life. And what do they do? As soon as someone says something to them, that church was mean to me. I'm going to go to another church. That's what happens. 
I'm just telling you. And, and so you'll see people that live right here in Galax that have been to every church in town multiple times because their feelings have get, got hurt over and over again. And it's because they're not receptive to receive correction or criticism or instruction. Now, I, I say this, I mean, this kind of, this is scary, right? And I don't have it, I don't wish I had the answer, like if we did this, it would, but I'm just saying that's the world we live in, and people don't want to hear it. But I will tell you, it's much better when it comes from a friend rather than a person in authority. Right? If you hear that type of correction or encouragement from a friend, it goes much better than hearing it from someone that you aren't as close to. And I feel like that's where we've got to get back to. We've got to teach each other, instruct each other, admonish one another, exhort one another. That's what we've got to get back to. Um, and so, well, I challenge you here a little bit. We've got to, to listen to those people who care about us. I heard someone say something to me one time, and it stuck with me. And it, it's simply, if the other person, if they love Jesus and they love you, you need to listen to them. If another person loves Jesus but they don't love you, then, well, you kind of kind of take it, you kind of sift that through a filter a little bit. And when people criticize you or correct you, instead of getting defensive, why don't we start comparing it back to God's Word and saying, what truth can I find in this? Instead of getting mad, why don't we start saying, is there some, some level of truth in this that I need to change, I need to look at in my life, I need to deal with, and if we started doing that, I'm telling you, it would be amazing how you would see growth in your life. But often we don't grow because we want to avoid pain. We don't like pain. Uh, teaching prevents, admonishing corrects. Just think about that for a moment. Teaching prevents you from getting off the path, and admonishing brings you back on the path. We need both. And we need that in the context of good Christian friendships and relationships. And Paul, it's interesting in this whole passage back in Colossians 3, he says, we do this joyfully. We sing psalms. We sing songs. We, we have thankful hearts to God. When we live in this way, we're forgiving each other. Uh, we're, admonish, we're teaching. We're admonishing. We're helping. It actually brings joy when we do that. It doesn't bring anger. It doesn't bring jealousy. It doesn't bring pride it brings joy when we actually get to the point where it's all about jesus and that brings me to my last point this morning if we want to teach like jesus it's it, it's got to be based on humility and wisdom humility and wisdom if you get to the point where you're like i'm going to stand out here and i'm going to start shooting down everybody that i see has any problem and i start just like unloading at everybody is that going to work no, right? because that's prideful, that's arrogance. It's not leading from a place of humility. And if you want to be able to speak into to each other's lives, you've got to have humility. You've got to have love for that person. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's all about Jesus. Whatever we do, and again, this verse is taken out of context a lot, just, you know, but in the context, right, it's about forgiving each other. It's about dealing with people who are struggling. It's about uh, all this that we've been talking about. It's about dwelling in His Word. It's about learning from His Word, about having peace and all this uh, living in humility. And then we get to this place. Everything we do, it's got to be about Jesus. 
And so I just kind of want to challenge us a little bit this morning that we need humility. We don't do it to feel better about ourselves. And so many times we criticize other people to make them smaller and us feel bigger about ourselves. We do it without even realizing it. We do it without even thinking. We do it kind of subconsciously. It's like we put down other people so we feel better about how we're living. I feel like that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They thought they were perfect. They thought they didn't need anything, right? Jesus, uh, the rich young ruler, I've done everything. I followed all these commands. I don't need any. Jesus like, no, you, you missed the most important thing. You missed the most important thing. And, and I would say we've got to have humility. And I would, you know, I would even go so far to say if you, the, the best pastors are the humble ones. When I look at people in my life that have had the greatest influence, it's the people that are humble. It's not the people who think they're, they're incredible and great. The, the, arrogant, and the older I get, the, the more that people that are arrogant just bother me. It just bothers me because that's not of Jesus. It's not of Jesus. But we also need wisdom. And that's, uh, it, we've got to have wisdom and discernment to be able to know when to say something and to know and see and, and help others. And, and so this whole passage, it talks about let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It talks about uh, uh, we be thankful. Uh, it talks about how we let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. And we've just got to realize that God's words are better than my words. And the more we stay close to Him, the more we dwell in Him, the better we'll be able to have wisdom and speak truth in the lives of other people. In James 3, it says this, If you are wise and you understand God's way, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. I, I just think we see this. We need humility that comes from wisdom. We need that. And we get that together as the church as we teach and instruct each other. John Piper said this. He says, Wisdom is marked by meekness and freedom from selfish ambition and freedom from bitter jealousy and freedom from boasting. In other words, wisdom rises in relationships of meekness and humility and love and servanthood rather than jealousy and selfishness. Wisdom is not a solitary attainment. It is a community or corporate or relational attainment. Loners are not wise. Wisdom is given and found and forged in the fires of committed relationships. Being by yourself is not wise. That's not how you gain wisdom. You gain wisdom through relationships. It's forged in the fires of committed relationships of people who love Jesus and love each other. That's what the church is, guys. It's what we're called to do. We're called to live in a way where we help each other. We serve one another. We love one another. We teach one another. We exhort one another. We encourage all these one another commands. That, that's what God uses to build us up, to conform us to, to the image of His Son, to help us to be more like Jesus. And so this morning, that's my challenge to you. Right, do you have that tension between being a learner and a teacher? A student and a teacher, both. We're called to be both. We're called to learn. Are you receptive to hearing other people speak truth into your life? I would challenge you right now 
to be proactive about that. Go to, go to your friends and say, you have my permission at any time to speak truth into my life. If you see me doing something that dishonors God, I want you to tell me about it. Do you have friends like that? Have you given them permission to do that in advance? That's accountability. We need people like that in our life. We need people, in the same token, we need friendships where we kind of set those ground rules in advance and say, I want you to do this. I need this in my life. I'm not so prideful or arrogant where I don't want to hear. I've got blind spots. I need people in my life that can help me see those blind spots. That's what it looks like to live the Christian life and to follow Jesus together. And so I want you to think about that. Do you have someone like that in your life? Um, The praise team's going to come back up. We're going to close. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today your word has challenged us. It, It always does, but it's challenged us to be more like Jesus. And part of that molding and shaping us to be more like Jesus is when our friends can speak truth into our life. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be so focused on Jesus that we would know your will, your ways, your commands, that we would help spur each other to to love and to good works, that we would be able uh, to avoid uh, the sins that ensnare so many people. So help us, Lord, to to be encouragers. Help us to be equippers. Lord, I pray for uh, this community we live in because we know this world is so messed up right now. But we just pray that they can see something different in us. I pray that we can share the hope that we have in Jesus, the gospel message that, God, you so love the world, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, that, that, to die for us so that we may be forgiven, that we may receive new life, that we can now enter into your kingdom and be reconciled unto you. Lord, I, I pray that that message would just be so pervasive in what we say and what we do and how we live our life that we would just have conversation after conversation after conversation with others telling them about Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for what Jesus did for us. May we have that same type of love for others. It all starts when we accept your offer of salvation, when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus to save us. So if there's anybody here this morning, anybody listening online that doesn't know Jesus, help them to to know that they just need to confess their sin. Turn to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Make Him the Lord of their life. Uh, Your word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in your heart, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. We proclaim the name of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.